Daniel 6. This is probably one of the better known stories of the Bible. You've heard of David and Goliath and Daniel in the... I don't really think the title should be Daniel in the lion's den. I think the title should be lions in Daniel's den. Yeah. Daniel's in control. The lions aren't. Actually, God's in control and Daniel is yielded to him. And the, and the lions are, they're just, they're not even active in a sense. We're not going to go through the entirety of the story today. We'll do that next week. I want to cover just the first 10 verses, actually 12 verses of the passage. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, or Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, yours might say mayors, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, yours might say presidents, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, as Pastor Brett said during our prayer time. And the king gave thought to setting him, Daniel, over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not, they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and thus said to the king, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now remember, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that was their capital punishment. But the Medes and the Persians worship fire, so that, that would be an abomination to use fire as capital punishment. So they use, their, their method is the lion's den. So the same thing, it's just different. Okay. <laughs> now, O king, verse eight, now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And we know what happens after that. But those are going to be the passages we're going to look at. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're going to take a look at Daniel, Lord. And you have so much for us today. At least I, I know you did for me. And I pray you do for all. And I ask God that you'd minister deeply and profoundly and transform us by your living word. We yield ourselves. We make ourselves available. We're grateful for your word. All of our lives have been transformed by your word. Some of us don't even know it yet, but it's true. And so, Lord, just continue to do this mighty work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat, please. Um, my pastor, who... Um, I studied under and I consider to be my pastor. His name's Don McClure. And uh, Don McClure, 
his pastor, the man he studied under, I, I never had the privilege to meet him. He was dead before I was a Christian, actually. His name was uh, Dr. Alan Redpath. And I've read a number of his books, The Making of a Man of God. I've, I've read a number of his books and listened to countless sermons that were on uh, cassette tape, now transferred onto the MP3. And um, Don McClure studied under Alan Redpath. Alan, Dr. Redpath was a pastor at Moody Bible Church in Chicago. Um, a renowned preacher, wonderful man. And um, he did uh, an expository study of Daniel. And I, I like the way he outlined it. He, he talked about how Daniel was favored. And then Daniel was framed. And then Daniel was faithful. And then Daniel was fed to the lions. And then he was freed. And, and I want to cover the first three because I love the way that Dr. Redpath laid that out. He, he, was, he was favored, and then he was framed, but he was faithful. And, and the idea of this is that when we, we look at Daniel's life, it, it, at this point in the writing, when you see pictures of Daniel and the lions, and it's usually this young guy in front of these lions, kind of like a lion tamer, and, and the lions are all passive, and, and Daniel's there. Daniel, at this stage, now... The Babylonian Empire has imploded. The Medes and the Persians have come in, as we saw last week. Cyrus was given the scroll, 175 years old, of Isaiah that Daniel enrolled, as, as uh, uh, Josephus pointed out. And, and as this has been revealed, Daniel has received favor even under this new government. Now, Daniel was taken to Babylon at the age of 13. At the writing of this passage, Daniel is probably 88 or 90 years old. It's not the lions that Daniel's afraid of. It's, it's being thrown into the pit and breaking a hip. It, it, serious. I mean, he's 90 years old at this writing. He has been in Babylon for 75 years. And we don't even know where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are. They're probably dead. He's probably outlived them. More than likely, he's outlived them. He's all alone. And he's still rising in the ranks of, of importance because at this stage at 90 years of age and having survived multiple administrations, I got to tell you, this would be a perfect picture for any of you retirees. You know, you've worked your whole life for a company, you've built up a retirement and that company just implodes or bankrupts and removes your retirement and you're just like bitter and you're in Las Vegas in the buffet line going, where's the shrimp? You're just, you're, you're upset, <laughs> Right? Imagine Daniel, he's worked the majority of his life in the Babylonian administrations of government. And there's, there's no better job to get a retirement than a government job. Uh, that's, that's, that's the closest thing to eternal life is a government program on the earth, right? And he is banking on that. And now that government implodes. And you can imagine him going, I worked all those years for the Babylonians and now I got to do it all over again with the Medes and the Persians. It's just awful. No, he's not complaining. And he, you want to talk about a career change at 90. I don't want to hear it from any of you. There is no room for complaining. Just, this is what you're doing. Stop. Just, it's Daniel. I'll just, Daniel. That's what I'm going to do when you whine. Daniel. But I got Daniel. At 90 years of age, career change. Loses everything. And what happens is Darius, with Cyrus taking over the Medes and the Persians, as we saw with the statue, as, as the Medes and the Persians take over Babylon, 
Darius the general comes in. That's the title. It's a title, Darius. He comes in as a general, and now he has an expanse of the kingdom that he has to administrate. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like when our soldiers went into Afghanistan or Iraq, and when they were there, we had to find mayors, and, and we, you know, President uh, Gar, uh, Garzai or Karzai, excuse me, we had to find anyone we could work with to try to administrate and understand the customs and the cultures and the language and, and get things done. And we were going to have an infusing of, of American capital coming in there. And we didn't want people stealing. Or, we knew it wasn't going to happen. I mean, we knew they were going to take stuff. Well, that's the same thing with Darius. He comes in in this expanse of the Babylonian Empire. So what he does is he appoints 120 satraps or mayors over each of these districts throughout the, the land. And, and he says, okay, you guys know the customs. I'm going to have to rely on you. And we know how it works with government. It's a great place to siphon money because the government knows that they can, they can come up with amazing ways to spend your money. Amen. Yeah, amen, amen. And there's always a reason for it. And oh, you're never the person that's taxed. We're going to tax the big oil companies, right? Thus, we get a 10% price increase at the pump. But that was a tax on you. It was on the oil companies. And we're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Highest gas taxes in the country. 48% higher than Colorado. Which is the second highest in the country. And we're 48% higher than that. Welcome to California. But they don't tax us. They're just taxing the big companies. That's why they're all leaving. And so with this, government is just raking out of, you know, they're just taking it and, and pocketing and they got sweetheart deals and they're doing all kinds of business ventures and all that. Well, Darius is looking and saying, I don't know the language. I don't know the customs. I don't know the culture. I have to rely on these people. I need somebody who's honest. So over the 120 satraps, he appoints three governors. And these guys are the ones that are going to oversee. And if you notice in the passage, it says three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king wouldn't suffer any loss. So, So that they would catch him if they were trying to steal or fill their pockets or pilfer any of the taxes. And so they, they, they place these three guys over the 120. And then it goes on to say that Daniel distinguished himself above the other governors, and there was an excellent spirit within him. And, and, and Darius was going to put him in charge of all of it. Daniel is not the guy you want when you're a shyster. He's the kind of guy that ruins it when you've got a good thing going. Just, would you just shut up? Daniel, don't open your mouth. You don't understand how good we got it here. This, this, is, this is a union hall. You don't even have to move the chair. You got to get a union worker to move that chair. No one can touch that chair. Do you know how good that is? And when they move that chair, do you know what they get paid to move that chair? That's why we don't do anything at the Civic Arts Plaza anymore. It's a union hall. We go to move something. Oh, you can't touch that. Why? It, only a union worker can touch that. We'll go meet in a park. It's, it, and, and this, it's a sweetheart deal. It's a sweetheart deal. And Daniel comes in. This is a guy that every employer wants, but every employee doesn't want. Because he sets the bar so high, and the employer completely trusts him. He's not going to steal a pencil. He's not going to lie. This guy is as steady as a day is long. You can, you can count on this guy. He is, he is just the, the man you want when you're running a business. And so Darius is already moved by him because Cyrus was moved by him. And Daniel's like cream, he rises. 
And he's a man of character. He's favored. And you know why he's favored? Because his life represents the way he's lived. There's an excellent spirit within him. And the king gave thought about putting him over the whole realm. The governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. He was favored, and it's now it's time to frame him. So they, they seek to put some charge against him concerning his life, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Stop for a minute. Today, our homework assignment, get a yellow pad, get a person who's the closest to you in your life, and right at the top of it put, please list my faults, and hand that to him if you would. Okay, just hand that to him. And then they get to give you theirs too. All right? So be gentle. Oh, this is going to be good. Well, don't forget they're holding yours. Oh, I don't have any. Uh, maybe not in your eyes. But watch what they write. Daniel's enemies couldn't find any fault with him. My best friend, my wife, war and peace novel. Serious. She could write volumes. She wouldn't, but she could. People I just met yesterday could write things about me. And yet Daniel, they couldn't find any fault against him because his life was so committed to the Lord that cream rises. And I think that the travesty and the tragedy in our culture is we declare ourselves to be Christians, but we're the last people anyone wants to hire because we're not honest. We're not faithful. We're gossipy. We're divisive. We slander. And, and, you know, it used to be said, I remember hearing one guy in Fresno, he used to say all the time, if I see that stupid ichthus, the fish, on anyone's business card, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Those are the guys that have screwed me the most. That's what he used to say. If I see one of those, I don't even want anything to do with it. That's sad. Because I know some people put them on there and they're, they're amazing workers. I also know some people that use Christianity as a, a smokescreen. And, and yet with Daniel, they couldn't find a charge against him. They couldn't find any charge against Daniel. The only thing that they could do, you see, Daniel couldn't be moved. Daniel, here's the part, Daniel couldn't be bought because he was already owned. Daniel couldn't be bought because he was already owned. What owned you? What have you sold your soul to? And they realize the only way we can get to Daniel is to sever the relationship that he has with his God. So guess what they do? In verse five, they begin, are you ready? They begin to legislate anti-religious laws. You can't pray anymore. Don't you dare bring your Bible to school. You don't pray out loud. If you're a member of the CTA, you're a member of a public school, you're not allowed to pray with the kids. There's no expression of faith. You can't bring up Jesus' name. Mm -mm. That, that t-shirt's not acceptable here. What is, the, what is the point? The point is they're severing you from the connection to your God. What does that mean? Well, then, then that removes... See, this is the challenge that we face. The challenge we face in secularism 
and multiculturalism is if, if I can remove your connection to God, then all of a sudden, I don't have to live to your standards. Your life brings conviction to me, and I don't want your conviction upon me. I want to be my, my own authority, my own boss. And what happens when you do multiculturalism and you do secularism and you remove God from the equation so that everybody's their own God or everybody's their own boss or situational ethics, situational morality, what happens now is you're not standing on anything so you can fall for anything. Look, look at Europe right now. France, 7.5% Muslim, and they're imploding. And you say, well, pastor, that, that's not... I can already get your deal with your multiculturalism and your secularism. Like, oh, you can't. It's a war of ideas. Sharia law. Look at Sweden right now. Last year alone, a thousand rapes were documented. Less than 6% of the population is Muslim. 77% of the crime was done by Muslims in Sweden. Muslim immigrants. In addition, I'm not talking Arab. I'm talking religious and a thousand rapes, of which 300 were girls under the age of 15. And only 25% of them were reported because women don't want to even come forward. For over 20 years in the birthplace of Churchill in England, or the burial place of Churchill in England, they had a child sex ring going done by Muslim cab drivers for over 20 years, and that whole district is, is run by Sharia law, and nobody wants to talk about it. And now the nation is, is imploding in France, 7.5%, and, and they're running rampant. And our own president doesn't want to declare that it's a war of ideas. And I just want to share this with you. 1936, Nazi Germany. Well, 1936 in Germany. Germany was the hotbed of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, right? Yes? 7% of the population, not 7.5%, 7% of the population were Nazis. They managed to get control of the nation, not just Germany, but also Austria, annexed Austria. And as a result of 7% of the population dominating the remainder in a war of ideas, 50 million people were killed. What's going to happen in France and Western Europe is going to pale in comparison. The birth rate is 8 to 1 Muslims to Christians. We don't even have babies anymore. We're all about materialism. Children are a commodity. We don't stand when the Bible says be fruitful and multiply. We don't stand for those things. All of, all of the, the areas that we've established are gone. And we're watching Western Europe implode. And it's a war of ideas. And so when we look at this, we see Daniel in Babylon, a pagan nation, and he is so firm upon which he stands that the nation doesn't move him, he moves the nation. Where's the conviction of the body of Christ today? Daniel was favored because he was faithful. He was framed, but God is going to deliver him. We, we, want, to, we want to ride the wave we want to ride the wave of popularity instead of, you know, create the wave of culture. 
We just want to ride it, man. God says, make it. And Dave, or Daniel, excuse me, Daniel is establishing this. He's standing so firm that he is changing the dynamic of the government. One man. They can't even deal with him, so they have to separate him from his God. So if we can remove him from being able to pray or having any connection to God, we can shut him down. And so that's what they do. They go before Darius and they say to him, listen, what, what we suggest is you make a decree that every governor and administrator and satrap and counselor and advisor, everyone in the kingdom... Uh, that, that for 30 days they can't petition any God or any man except for you. And we're going to show them who's boss. And Darius is like, you, you, that's right. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Darius really loves Daniel. Darius is moved by Daniel's heart. Darius may not completely know where that comes from. He's moved by the scriptures. But he makes this not realizing that his government edict has affected a man that has moved his life. I get a kick out of, you know, I, in the course of um, being the pastor, you know, you, you go through different seasons and you hear different people share and sometimes you'll get somebody who's a eh, tad anti-Semitic or, you know, whatever it is. And one of my favorites is, I, you know, I turn to him and I say, uh, so, so you're telling me that, that you stand in opposition to Pastor Marty? And the response is, oh, no, 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 not Pastor Marty. He's not one of them. Them who? He was, he was raised Orthodox. He's from an Orthodox. That's his lineage. That's his bloodline. Well, he's not one of them. And they go, well, who are one of them? And what I'm pointing out is when you spend time with a person, you start to realize, wait a minute, I may not know completely who you are and, and how my actions are affecting you and the words that I share are affecting you. That's what happened with Darius and Daniel. And Darius won't realize that till later what he's done, but he says, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's make a decree. Now they've set him up. Well, Daniel is like, I, I knew they were going to do this. This is my first rodeo. I'm, I'm, I'm 90. And, and check this out. Now, verse 10, first they sign the decree. And if the decree's broken, they, they're put into the lion's den. And, uh, and, and because they don't do fire, the Medes and the Persians worship fire, so they, they wouldn't do capital punishment. That would be an abomination to them. So they do this lion's den. They sign it, and when an edict is made by the king or the general or whatever, it can't be broken even by the man himself. And now he can override it, but not, not if somebody's violated it in the course of it. So verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, Daniel knew it. He could have said, you know what? I think what I'm going to do is for the next 30 days, I'm just going to pray quietly. He didn't do that. Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open, he knew that there were listening devices. He knew there were cameras that had facial recognition. He knew that every, every website that you've looked at has been recorded, by the way, and they can pull it up. Everything that you do, every transaction you've made, every one of you is being tracked. They know exactly what your habits are. They know where you hang out. They know where you've been. Everything you're doing, they're tracking right now. And some of you are going, what is, is he wacko? Is he wearing tinfoil? No, I'm just telling you, that's how it is. They know if you've done an addition to your house through Google Earth and the city's going to come and tax you. They know 
everything. Your, your life is laid bare. It's always been laid bare before God, but it is getting really laid bare before man. And with all of their knowledge and all their power and all the stuff that they have, they're examining you. And Daniel's like, I already see all the cameras and, and you just leave the windows open. This is who I am. I remember my friend who is a part of um, DevGrew, uh, SEAL Team 6. Uh, he, he runs a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and if he told me, he'd have to kill me kind of thing. But I turned to him one day, I said, Bruce, how do you avoid being tracked? I'll never forget his answer. You can't. He said, Rob, you of all people should know that the only way you can avoid them is to live your life honorably. Ooh. (laughs) And he pulled up a website I'd looked at six months earlier. based on the phone I was carrying. Every site you've gone to, they have. Welcome to the world of convenience. Every transaction you've made. Daniel knows that even before they had the cameras, he opens the windows and and he knows that the writing has been made. He opens the windows in the upper room and he faces towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day. I don't know about you, but kneeling for a 90-year-old person I'm 50 and I have a problem with it. I kneel and my legs start to fall asleep. He's 90. For some of you who are older, it's like when you kneel down, you're like, I I better bring a list because while I'm down here, I'm going to do some other things. It's going to take a while to come back up. And then when you're kneeling, you go to pull up your socks or down, you realize you're not wearing socks. That's not funny, I guess. And he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. He'd been doing this since he was a kid. And, and here, from 13 to 90, he's been doing this. They knew it, and they're going to try to separate him from his God. And Daniel's like, have your best shot. This is my life. This is what I do. And he prays, and he sets his example. So he's favored, and then he's framed. But the cool thing is here, it doesn't move him. He's faithful. It doesn't change his life. Most of us would compromise because we don't want the pressure. Not Daniel. He knows that the writing's on the wall and he prays anyways. The men assemble and they bring him before, or they, they bring the accusation before Darius and Darius is gonna have to deal with it. And the thing I love about Daniel is when he's praying, he's on his knees. Now some of you, I, 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 this isn't legalism. There have been times where I've been on my knees before God. I can't say that I always pray on my knees. If you think praying on your knees is absolutely necessary, and I remember being with one Ukrainian pastor. He says, we're, we're at a seminary. I was in seminary, and he was one, we were roommates together. He says, get on your knees. I go, why? And he goes, that's how you pray. I go, that's not how I pray. And he was, he was insulted by that. I said, I'll kneel with you. I'll be all things, all men. When some, I'll kneel with you, but this isn't how I pray. He couldn't understand that. I put my Bible on the ground. He picked it up. He says, you don't understand. And he was upset that I put the Bible on the ground. The dirt belongs on the ground, not the word of God. And I appreciated that. I saw his heart for it. He was from a communist country. This, these are things that moved him. But as I pointed out to him, I said, I, I, would, I, I, I have met people, and I told him this. I said, I've met people who are kneeling with their knees, but not with their heart. And the legalism, that comes, the hypocrisy that comes with legalism is not something I'm interested in. I've seen people kneel, but they don't tithe. 
I've seen people kneel, but they beat their children. I've seen people kneel, but they lie. I'd rather see their heart kneeling than their knees bending. It's wonderful when the two go together. And, and with Daniel, not only he had a place that he went to pray, and this was the example. And I, I want to stop for a minute because with the remaining time, I want to use that word example. Example. Because I want to bring this home. Daniel knew that the writing and the decree had been made and he had a place where he went. He went up to this place and it was his home. And in his home, the window was already open. He had been doing this for 75 years. Do you have a place where you pray? He goes to this place and he has a time to pray. Morning, noon, and night. And, and the part of it is he knew of what King David wrote, Psalm 55. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It was the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3. He said, for this reason I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would bow his knees. David would pray three times a day. Daniel had a place where he prayed. He was in his room. He had a time that he would pray, morning, noon, and night. For some of us, that's like, oh yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Thanks for the food. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. That's not a prayer. That's a joke. He had a posture. And again, the posture isn't the physical posture. It's the yielded heart that matches the physical posture. He was on his knees. But the part that gets me, and this is what I want to focus on as we close, is he had a direction that he prayed. The scripture says that he prayed towards Jerusalem. He'd been doing that for 75 years. He wasn't praying to or at Jerusalem as though it's some sort of a mystical, magical place. He did know that, that, that with Cyrus, Ezra was going to be able to rebuild and they were going to be able to return and they'd been in exile and Daniel had witnessed this. He knew all about that and the hope of coming back. But he kept praying for 75 years in this direction three times a day to Jerusalem. Specifically in the text, it says Jerusalem, as was his custom since the early days. Why Jerusalem? This is what I think the Lord had put on my heart in relation to the text this morning. You see, Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem because of an example. And I think with this coming year, and what we're seeing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we're going to see in Iowa, and we're going to see across this country as we're witnessing a need for examples around the world of men and women who are not moved because they stand upon the precepts of the Lord. They may be framed, but they're faithful. People try to buy, to buy them, but they're already owned. Where are the men and the women of character to transform a world? You see, Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem. You know why? Because that's where his example came from. He had learned up until the age of 13 what it, was, what it was to be faithful. He had watched his parents die in faithfulness. He'd been so moved by the example of his parents that he never forgot his home. I just want to talk to parents. Can your kids say the same about your home? Or are they the kind of folks that can't wait, the kids that can't wait to get out of your home because it's so contradictory? 
out of your mouth you say one thing, but your life is something totally different. And they're like, I don't want any part of this. Daniel kept looking to Jerusalem because that was his example. And, and I, I'll leave you with this thought. And it's not just for you, it's for me. But remember this, what I'm about to say must be personal. It's between you and God. I, I'll deal with my own, you deal with your own. Okay? Amen? Amen. Here's the question. What would the church be like if you, me, you, me, were the example? If everybody prayed like you, would we have a Sunday night of prayer? Would there be any corporate prayer? Would there be any intercessory prayer? If you were the example for the church to follow, would there be any prayer in the church at all? What would the church be like if you were the example when it came to reading the scriptures? Do your children ever see you read? Kids, do you read? Do your peers see you read? What would the church be like if you were the example to the rest of the church on scriptural reading? Do you hunger for God's word more than your physical food? Can you quote 66 books of the Bible? Do you know the four gospels? Do you know who wrote them? Do you know what the pastoral epistles are? Do you know who wrote the book of Proverbs? Song of Solomon? Do you know who wrote the Psalms? Can you give an account of the book of Genesis? Do you know where the fall of man came from? Do you have a systematic understanding of the scriptures that you can communicate? Do you know how to share with someone the plan of salvation? Do you have a daily devotion in the word of God? Do you hunger for his word more than your physical food? What would the church be like if your reading life was the example for the rest of the church? What would the church be like if you were the example on what it was like to forgive and not hold a grudge? What would the church be like if you were the example to everybody in regards to attendance? Attendance. Would there be a Sunday night service or a Wednesday night service? Will we only go to church on Christmas and Easter? And when football wasn't on? Would we come to other events at the church or do we just do Sundays? What would the church be like if you were the example to the rest of the church on what it meant to attend church? What would the church be like if you were the example when it came to supporting missionaries? Would there be any? Just, just look at your pocketbook. Would there be any missionaries around the world if you were the example on the support of missionaries? What would the church be like if you were the example to the rest of the church on what it meant to support God's work financially? Would there be any chairs to sit in? 
You see, Daniel's life was an example because he had been moved by an example and he looked to that example for 75 years of his life. There were no seminaries. There were no Christian radio stations. There were no Christian bookstores. There were no churches. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were long gone. And he kept looking for 75 years to the one example that had never moved, his family. And I say to all of you, you want to see the world change? Set an example. The world longs to have leaders like Daniel. We want somebody we can trust. But we personally do not want to be that example. We personally don't want to be accountable. And God says, you will get what you reflect. The leaders we have is a reflection of who we are. And God says to you, will you be the example of prayer, of the scripture readings, of forgiving, of attending, of supporting? Because that's where the Daniels of the world come from. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking... Man, Rob, are you sure you want to read that? I don't care. There's no one else in the room. I am guilty as charged. And all I could say after writing those words was, God, I want to be a better example to my kids to my community, to my church, but more importantly to you, oh God. I want to be found faithful. The world needs us to be an example. One man who couldn't be bought changed the world. Could you imagine if God had a hold of our heart like he had a hold of Daniel's? It would be epic. There's still time. I'm ready for him to take my life. I'm ready to be an example. He can have any part that I haven't surrendered. It's all his. Let's do that together. So that when... We're long gone. Our kids will open the window and look back to our memory and say, I want to be like them. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel's faithfulness. He wasn't afraid. It wasn't Daniel in the lion's den. It was a lion's in the den of a faithful man. And God, the example that Daniel put before us is one that we long by your spirit to represent. Lord, Daniel went through all kinds of hell and seldom do we receive what we deserve from people, whether it's criticism or honor. The world usually will not pay what is due us. And our ability to handle human injustice and divine goodness is directly related to our walk with you and our consistency there. We know, Lord, that the only real safe place is in the will of God. 
And so, God, we trust you. We want to be found faithful. Lord, thank you for this fellowship and for these folks that day in and day out, week in and week out, want to be that example to this community and this state, this nation, and this world. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And the work that you began, you're faithful to complete. Our hearts are laid bare before you this day and we ask that you would take hold of them and make us the example so that when the years pass, our children will open that window and look to the past and say, I want to be just like my mom and dad or my grandparents or my aunt or my uncle. Whatever it would be, they would say, I I want to be like that. So thank you, Lord. For the example of Daniel, may we be the same for our children and our children's children. In Jesus' name, amen.